As I said, we begin this morning and we are finishing this series. Search me, we prayed. Break me, we've prayed. And today, I want to call you to pray this uh, dangerous prayer, send me. These are not uh, simple prayers. They're not easy prayers. They're not comfortable prayers. These are prayers that potentially will change your life. Um, and that's probably a little too broad. So let me say it this way. These are prayers that might change your today. Might change your tomorrow and the next day and the next day. So not just change your life because I think maybe that's a little too big and broad for us to really get a hold of. I'm talking about these are things that will change how you live today. And as we pray today, Lord, send me. I want us to hear where that prayer comes from. I want you to take your Bible and turn with me to Isaiah 6. And as you're finding your place uh, in the middle of the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah, um, what we see in Isaiah chapter 6 is a vivid image of a unique kind of experience. Um, This is one of just a few times this happens. It's called a theophany. It's where we see God in in an incredible God kind of way where God reveals himself in, in kind of his fullness. And there's several places in the Bible this, this kind of thing happens. But I want to give you three. We'll look at one in particular today. But I want to give you two other places just so you kind of have what's going on in this picture. So uh, there's a moment in Moses' life in Exodus chapter 33 where Moses actually prays, God, show me your glory. Wild prayer, bold prayer from Moses. He says, God, show me your glory. And God responds and says, I can't do that. Um, no, if, if I show you who I really am, if you see me, you, you won't live to tell about it. God actually says in Exodus 33, at the end of the chapter, he says, no man shall see my face and live. But Moses presses in. He's like, oh, I just want to see you. I, need to, I want to see your glory. Show me your glory. And so God agrees. Takes Moses, puts him in the cleft of the rock of a mountain. Kind of hides him, covers him there with his hand. And God allows his goodness to pass by Moses. And Moses just kind of catches a reflection of the goodness of the backside of God. As he passes by. And that much impact from this God radically transformed Moses. From that time on, when Moses finally came down from the mountain, people didn't even recognize him because his face had totally changed. Moses actually had to wear a veil over his face, kind of like a bride does today, a veil to to hide his face because his face would glow like a glow stick. I mean, it's ridiculous. This is the impact of this God and an and experience with God. There's another experience like that in Matthew chapter 17 and it's told in the other Gospels as well. But Matthew 17, you can read of this story where Jesus takes three of His disciples, probably His closest guys that He was really pouring His life into, Peter, James, and John, and he grabs those men and he's like, let's go up on the mountain. And he takes Peter, James, and John, they go up on the mountain, and there is what we have, what we call the mountain of, or the Mount of Transfiguration. 
And what we mean by that big word is that Jesus showed them who he really was. I mean, all this time, they've been seeing him do crazy, cool things, and they're like, this guy is legit. But it's in this moment that they're blown away and they realize he's not just this awesome man, but Jesus is actually God. What happens is his face shines like the sun, his clothes somehow turn into bright white. He sort of levitates and floats up right in front of them. Peter and James and John are like, what in the world? And then all of a sudden, Moses shows up and Elijah, and they're just sort of floating there together. And they start talking. Moses is like, hey man, how you been? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what the conversation is going on, but imagine the scene, right? And Peter's like, this is so cool that we're here. It's, it's, it's really cool when you read it. Peter says, uh, Lord, it's great that we are here. That's probably the biggest understatement. Like, that's the softest way that could possibly be written. For sure, he was like, this is unreal. And he's just stammering. His words are coming out. Lord, we're going to like build an altar. We're going to worship right here. And all of a sudden, this booming voice interrupts him. And cloud comes down. And it's just thunderous sound. Peter, James, and John fall on their faces like dead men. And this voice says, Behold, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Peter, James, and John open their eyes and Moses and Elijah are gone and it's just Jesus. He's back in his regular clothes. And they're just like, Jesus says, don't say anything about this until I've resurrected from the dead. That's a secret. <laughs> this is a moment where they saw something and it radically transformed their life. And here we open the book on Isaiah. And he's going to tell us about a time when he saw something. He saw someone. And it radically transformed his life. It's strange this happens in chapter 6. But really what, what's happened is Isaiah has, has been preaching already. He's a, he's a prophet of God and he's been... He's been telling us the situation that's going on with the people of God. And he's, he's already been declaring prophecy. And five chapters of that, he gets in five chapters. And in chapter six, he's like, well, I need to tell you how this all came about. I, like, I need to tell you how I became a prophet. I need to tell you the moment that I met this God for whom I speak. And that's where we open the book. In Isaiah chapter six. I want you to stand with me in honor of God's Word. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, and with two 
he, fl- he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am. Send me. And he said, Go. Father, this morning open our eyes to see you high and lifted up. God, open our eyes to see you so that our ears will be open to hear you. Lord, if we don't see you for who you are, we won't really care about what you have to say. But if we see you as the king, the king, we hear your call to send. I pray, God, that there would be those among us who say, today, Lord, wherever, whatever, whenever, here I am, send me. Jesus, move in this place today. Move in our hearts. Stir us out of comfort and toward your call. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So I want to walk fairly quickly through this text, just giving you some highlights. I want to just do an expositional approach to this passage, and then I want to give you some some really pointed application. Okay, so quickly, here's what we see here. We see a high view of God. A high view of God. There's several details that the prophet Isaiah gives us that we just cannot overlook and we need to pay special attention to. He starts this way in the year that King Uzziah died. So just a little history briefly. King Uzziah was on the throne for 52 years. Can you imagine having the same ruler 52 years? Not in America, right? Uh, We would not have it. Um, Four years is enough. Eight years at most, and then we're done with you, right? Move on. Next. 52 years King Uzziah has been in leadership, and it's been a good reign. I mean, he's, the people have prospered. Things have gone well. He made some pretty serious mistakes close to the end. Probably ended up killing him. But get the contrast. In the year King Uzziah died, 
I saw the Lord seated on His throne. King of 52 years? Forget it. King eternal. The King eternal, the one who will never be off the throne. The one who will forever in history and forever in the future be reigning and ruling eternally. It's a high view of God. He's not just your grandpa on the porch waiting on you to come praying. He's a king. The king. The Lord is on His throne. Isaiah says He is high and lifted up. Anyone who wishes to see God, you've got to look up. God's not under anyone. Everything and everyone is under Him. He is in every setting high and lifted up. Never low. Isaiah says the train of His robe filled the temple. I was not aware of this. I was recently told that uh, kings of old, the train of their robe symbolized their righteous rule. The longer the robe, the more righteous the king. Listen again. The train of his robe filled the temple. This is not just any king. He's the righteous king eternal. And his righteousness is like this robe that you, it's just everywhere. His righteousness is just filling the place. You're stepping all over it. His robe is majestic. It's holy. It's this beautiful, glorious image of a righteous king. The train of his robe fills the temple. And then we have these angelic beings. The scripture calls them seraph or seraphim. That word seraph literally means burning ones. So if you have in your mind an image of an angel that looks a little bit like Cupid, little fat thing with, you know, like little bubbly fat guy fluttering around, wrong image. Okay? We're talking about warriors. The, the strongest, buffest, you know, Marvel Comics has nothing on these guys, right? DC, whatever they are. The, nothing here. We're talking about warriors who are ablaze, just on fire, burning ones, with these huge, majestic wings. And with two of them, they cover their face because not even they can see this holy God. Remember what God said to Moses? No man shall see my face and live. Even these beings are hiding their faces in His presence. And then with two other wings, they're covering their feet because there's just something about feet. Feet are unclean. They're unholy. Remember what God said to Moses? Take off your shoes. The ground on which you stand is holy ground. Feet. It's just not, not appropriate in the presence of a king. So they cover their feet. And with the other two, they fly beside him on his throne and all around him. Picture this image. This is a moment, a thing to see. 
And these angels are singing an incredible song about this king. And it's as if there's no better word to describe him, so they choose a word and repeat it. And they choose that one word in our language that might, might capture some of who he is. And all they can say is, he's holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The weight of this song can't be sung about anyone else. They choose this word holy. We have, we have what's called a, a trihagios, which just means it's, it's, it's this three times repeated praise. And here's, here's what's happening here. They're sing, singing holy, holy, holy. You don't see any other attribute of God repeated three times in the Scriptures ever. You don't see love, love, love. Mercy, mercy, mercy. Justice, justice, justice. He's righteous, righteous, righteous. It's not in the text. This is in here. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And in case you think they sing this song and when the song's done, they're finished and they move on. Let's look at how the story ends. Grab your Bible. Go to Revelation chapter 4. I'm going to show you a picture of this throne room that we get from uh, John, who's been given a vision in Revelation, and he sees the throne room, and these creatures are there. And he describes what he sees in Revelation chapter 4, verse 8. And listen to his description. He says in verse 8, And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. This song of these angelic burning ones, we will hear for all eternity. We might should get used to it. But what I want us to see is this text paints a high view of God. A high view. I dare say none of us think of God in this way. In your mental image of God, when you pray to Him, do you really imagine and think of this throne room? These burning creatures shouting praise. This train of His robe filling the whole place. There's something else. There's a booming voice that Isaiah can't even recognize at the first time we hear it. Isaiah chapter 6, again, look. In verse 4, he can't even understand the words. In verse 4, it says, The foundations of the thresholds shook at the words of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. There's just this booming of the voice of this king. It's this power of his voice. I love how these images shed light on other moments in Scripture. It just makes me think for a minute. 
about uh, the scene that the Apostle John paints in the Gospel when, uh, when the men come to arrest Jesus. And they're in the garden and Jesus, has, He's weary. He's been praying. Remember, drops of blood. He's sweating. He's in total agony. Lord, I pray Your will be done nevertheless. Or not my will, but Your will. And He's praying. And, and then He meets with His guys and they've been falling asleep while He's praying. And then here come the soldiers to arrest Him. And John gives us a detail that the other Gospels don't. Um, they come searching for Jesus. And they say, uh, they say uh, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus just responds with two words. You know what He says? I am. Those are shaking words because... Now, in, in your text... Just to make it easier to read, they translated it, I am He. They added the pronoun um, on the end. But He didn't say that. He said, I am. That's the name that God gave for Himself to Moses. Remember when God sent Moses? You tell Him, I am sent you. Jesus said in that moment, I am. And the men who came to arrest Him, do you know what they did? you know what happened? John records, because he was there, he says they fell down like dead men. This is an incredible detail. How does that happen? Because the voice of Him shook the foundations. We're talking about God Almighty revealing Himself in a moment. These men have come to arrest Him and He says, I'll knock you dead with two words. I am. Come get me. These moments that we read like this, they shed light on the rest of Scripture. Who is our God? Who is He? He's the God of angel armies. He's a God that at a word can wipe us off the face of the map. This is our God. Do you have a high view of God? I confess to you that I don't. So often... I don't, I just drop to my knees and I just talk casually to him. And that's okay. But in the midst of that casual conversation, I often forget who I'm talking to. Because I'm standing there just, Lord, da, 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 da. Meanwhile, there are these burning creatures. Holy, holy, holy. This little Lord of hosts. I want to call us, church, to a high view of God. What does this do in us? Well, secondly, it creates in us a humble view of ourselves. When we see God for who He is, we have a right perspective of who we are. It's exactly what happens to Isaiah in this moment. How does he respond to this vision of the King? How does he respond to this view? I saw the Lord, and he says, Woe is me! Woe is me, for I am lost, is the word we have. Now, your translation may say, I am undone. That's a better word, actually. The actual word translates this way, I am destroyed. That's wild, isn't it? I am destroyed. Get it? Here's what Isaiah is saying. Oh my gosh. I'm about to melt. 
in your presence. I'm undone. You just can't. You just almost feel him backing away from this high, holy king. He's just melting. I'm undone. And then all that can come out is some confession of ways that he's the ways that he's dirty. Like I, I have unclean lips. I, I shouldn't even be speaking in your presence. My lips are unclean. And he's, his heritage, he's like, my, not even my heritage is good. I come from a people of unclean lips. Nobody's good in your presence. It's the right view. In the midst of that moment, we have something crazy that happens. We have these angels that... Uh, you know, the word angel, by the way, means Messenger. So we really shouldn't make more of angels than they are. They're creatures who have been given a job. And their job is primarily to be a messenger, to bring a message. There are other angels who have been given jobs to guard, to protect, to do things. But their main job of an angel, the word angel means messenger, is to give a message. So the message that God has given to these, this angel who has taken tongs and Taking a burning coal from the altar. Uh, So we're talking about sacrificial altar. The purpose of an altar is for purification and for worship. They've taken a coal that is burning and taken the tongs. And this burning angel has come toward Isaiah and touched him on the mouth with a burning coal. Anybody else freaked out by this? All right. This is a little freaky. So this imagery is meant to do something. Isaiah has just confessed, I have unclean lips. And so where does the angel target, right? The exact point of his confession. Now, is it just lips that are unclean? Of course not. Jesus says about our lips, he says out of your mouth, what? The heart speaks. So this lip problem that Isaiah confesses is much deeper rooted than that, right? It's a deep issue. He's un- but in the moment of, of in the presence of the king, all he can say is, I can't even talk to you. I'm so filthy. And God is so gracious to send an angel, a burning angel, mind you, to take a burning coal and to touch his sin. And this is the message. Listen to the message that this Angel comes, he says, Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt and your sin are handled. This is huge. Huge. But we can't miss the progression. A high view of God has created a humble view of self. Out came honest confession and repentance and just a spirit that says, I'm totally unworthy to be here. And God intervenes. God steps in to rescue. This is a a picture of, of a coming rescue. It's a picture of a better kind of cleansing. So Isaiah is going to tell us all about that in, in, in about 50 chapters. When we get to chapter 53, he's going to give you a great picture of a coming Messiah. Hundreds of years before Jesus comes, Isaiah is going to write about him. And he's going to say, 
He is going to bear your grief. He's going to bear your sorrows. And you're going to be healed by His stripes. Your salvation is going to come through the death of your Savior. Your guilt will be taken away because it will be put on Jesus. And your sin will not just be covered and hidden from the king, it'll be erased as far as the east is from the west. What was crimson is going to be made white like snow. This is a foreshadowing moment for Isaiah. He's getting personal experience with what is coming, what is going to happen in Jesus. So after all of this, a high view of God, a humble view of self, we have a holy calling to answer. And Isaiah, who earlier couldn't understand the rumbling uh, sounds of the voice of God, can now hear it clearly. And he hears God saying these words, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? we got sending and going right here in this verse. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah... Broken by the awesomeness of God. Restored by this burning coal. Now feels that he can speak to this God. What does he say? I want to give you two other times that men of God in the scripture heard the voice of God calling them to do something. One. Jonah hears the voice of God saying, Rise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to them that they may repent. And what does Jonah say? Here am I. I'm not going. And he runs down to the docks and he jumps on a boat and he goes the total opposite direction. Jonah says, here am I. I'm not going. And he's out of there. That didn't bode well for Jonah. Life got a little fishy after that. (laughs) You guys are great. Y'all love my cheesiness and I appreciate that. Um, The dad jokes, you know, they just come out. Uh, So it didn't go well for Jonah. There's there's another guy in Scripture whom God called and he heard God call and he didn't respond well at first. You know, God said to Moses, he says, I'm calling you, Moses. I want you to go to Egypt and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. What did Moses say? Lord, here I am. Send Aaron. That's how he responded. He, He goes through this Litany of excuses. I don't speak well. I'm, I'm, I'm a mess. I, I killed a guy back there. Are you serious? Send my brother. He'd do a lot better job. Send Aaron. Lord, here I am. Send somebody else. But with Isaiah, we hear the right response. We hear the kind of response that comes from a high view of God, a humble view of self, an experience with the grace and mercy of having our sin cleansed. And Isaiah, all he can say in the presence of this king is, here I am. If you'll have me, send me. 
That's the right response to this God. And I want to call us as a church to respond this way. Corporately and for you as an individual. To tell God, Lord, you're the king, eternal. Your kingdom is never going to end. You are seated on your throne, high and lifted up. You're the train of your robe. Your righteousness is just more than I can bear. These angels, holy, holy, I just want to join their chorus. God, if you'll have me, here I am. Send me. I think we are afraid to pray this way because we're afraid God's going to say, okay, go to Africa, go to China. I'm going to put you in this little remote spot in Peru where no one knows you exist. And I want to tell you something. He may do that. And here's the thing. It's his prerogative. He is either the king or he's not And you're either his servant or you're not. We are saved to serve. That's it. You're brought into a kingdom and you have a king. If you confess Christ, he's your king. There's not a no in your vocabulary if you're following Jesus. The thing about following Jesus is you actually have to Follow Jesus. I feel like we have a lot of Christians today that say, I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus and Jesus is going that way and they're walking this way. But they're follow, following Jesus. That's not just a term, like that's life. Are you following Jesus? Because here's, uh, here's, here's the way the New Testament paints this. Our God is a sending God. You, you hear this theme from the throne room of heaven. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? That's not an Old Testament thing. Our favorite verse, most of us, a lot of us, you learn this when growing up. For God so loved the world that He what? Sent. He sent His Son. God has always been ascending God. Jesus came, John 17, verse 18. He said, as the Father has sent me into the world, so I am sending you into the world. Our God is ascending God. Are we a going people? Are we a going people? Are you a going Christian? You either are or you're not. And it doesn't mean that you have to go to Africa. Leave that up to Him. It doesn't mean you have to go to China. Although, been to China. It's a beautiful place. Here's the thing. God may tell you, I want you to go with the gospel back to your job. I want you to go with the gospel back to your school. I want you to go with the gospel into the prisons. I want you to go with the gospel across the street. You're not ready to go across the ocean. We'll get there. Just go across the street. Say hello to your neighbor. Take him a brownie. Right? Say hello. Be the love of Jesus. Talk about Christ. Go with the gospel. Here's the thing. God is sending you. Are you going?